chapter 8, and our text will be found in verses 1 through 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We'll be reading that in just a little while. Welcome, 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 every single one of you to Big Woods Bible Church. Matt and the rest, thank you for leading us. A special welcome to my dear brother in the Lord, uh, Pastor Nathan Purdy, his wife Charity, who will be leaving our area to go back to Ireland. And we will miss you. I will miss you. Be assured, uh, Nathan and Charity, of our love and of our continued prayers. And a great excuse for me to visit Ireland someday. Lots, lots, lots of movement right now. Exciting time in the history of Big Woods Bible Church. A lot of people have asked me, how's it going to work for like this move? How's this move going to be coordinated on um, Saturday? It's going to look something like this, just so that you know, everyone, we don't need, like we don't need 50, 60, 70 people, okay? We need 80, 90, 100 plus people. We're all going to like... We're all going to grab a box. We're all going to grab a pile of books, whatever it is, okay? And we're just going to stand in a long line right out on the front of Logan Avenue. And the pastors and elders will be in the front of that line. And they're going to walk down to the edge of Bald Eagle Creek. And as soon as they step into, as soon as we step into that, we're just going to watch. We're going to all just walk through on dry land. That's what it means to have faith, right? Someone's like, do you have another plan, Pastor? Like, how about a pickup truck? (laughs) Yeah, that'll be plan B, okay, just so that you know. Either way, exciting times, um, terrifying times, to tell you the truth, but I love that. Frighteningly exciting. And so we are trusting the Lord every single step of the way. He has been faithful, and he will continue to be faithful. First and foremost, We need to bow our heads and just pray that God would just anoint our time um, and speak to us through his word this morning. Father, we do come this, this day, your day, with our heads bowed. We recognize your authority first and your sovereignty Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have a a reason to gather and a reason to lift up our voices and sing in worship. Lord, the reason is in response to your amazing goodness and grace to us that we simply do not deserve. We thank you, Lord, for the work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the good news of the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that as we gather together on another day, you've gifted to us with that the focus, Lord, our, our, our prayer and my prayer is that the focus will be on you and you alone. Lord, I have, I have, I have nothing to offer in and of myself other than a willingness and a desire the name of Jesus be exalted. And Lord, all of us, Lord, we want to hear a word from you. Open our, our eyes to see and our ears to hear. Lord, in a subject from a text, and in all honesty, it is a sharp and a cutting text. Lord, painful in many ways, and yet we thank you, Lord, that, that your word never returns void and that there is a word for all of us to hear this morning. God, I I do lift up specifically people that are here, 
they're listening to this message that I, I just know there's a heaviness and a weightiness upon them. Some are discouraged, some are exhausted and frustrated just at the end of their rope. God, restore and renew, encourage them. Just enrich their, their souls so that they can see your goodness and be reminded of why we're here as a local church and what you have called us to do. God, we admit and confess that we need your wisdom right now more than ever before. We thank you and we rejoice in your faithfulness, Lord, in over three decades in watching over this church and as we turn the, the page in another chapter of the story that you are writing. God, I want testimonies of how amazing you have been. Lord, that's our prayer now. Please give me the help that I need. Please guard my mind and speech. May you be glorified. We ask this in the amazing and wonderful and precious and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Amen and amen and amen. I believe the Lord gives specific messages when they are needed. I believe the Lord speaks through his word to us um, and hits us where they are needed most. Now, as we prepare for this transition we've been talking about, it's a wonderful time to learn together, to be reminded of some key principles surrounded around the idea of this one word, faith. Faith is defined literally, it's what our complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Thankfully, we know that our faith is not just in someone or something, but our faith is grounded and founded upon the authority of God and his word, first and foremost. Last week, we looked at the fact from Joshua chapter 3 that, that faith moves, and we saw that demonstrated by the Israelites. They demonstrated faith as God had a, a plan for them to move into the promised land, but we saw it wasn't just like crossing the river by driving over a bridge. It was a lot more challenging than that. It was a flooded river. We kind of have that vivid image in our mind just this past week of the power and might of a flooded river. But they listened to the word of the Lord and they walked across on dry land, even though there was enemies swarming like bees ready to attack them. They were faithful. And we saw that, that faith moves. They were grounded in the word of the Lord. They listened for the instructions from the word of God, first and foremost. That's what we are to do as well. We saw, secondly, that they trusted in more than the visible. Sure, the river was flooded. Sure, the giants and the enemies were real and scary. But they trusted in God to protect them and provide for them. That's certainly what God did. And they moved forward in spite of obstacles. Be assured, don't be shocked. There will always, always, always be obstacles when it comes to the work of the gospel. Remember that. Remember that obstacles are to the church what warm rain and sunshine are to a blossoming flower. So this week, we look from what? Faith moves to another subject surrounding, grounded around the same word that faith gives. So we gather together, thankfully, on the Lord's day, gathered in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. Praise God that we don't have to go very far to find the greatest example of giving from the greatest giver ever, and that's the Lord himself, our heavenly Father. James says it like this in chapter 1, verse 17, that every good gift, every perfect gift 
is from above, from our Father. You ever pause on that? Like every good gift, every perfect gift, there's a long list. What are they? Every what beats of your heart, every time your heart beats is a gift. Every breath that you take, it is a gift of God's grace. Another day that God has given to us the ability to come together in the freedom, just to like sing out loud in worship is a gift that God has given to us. Our time, our talents before me are people that are gifted in amazing ways, but you're gifted for a purpose. God gives it to you. Why? So that you can give it back to him. Our time, our talents, our resources, our riches. Well, yeah, we don't have a whole lot of riches. No, 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 no. Any of you, those who have just come back from Cruz Blanca, Guatemala, you understand what poverty looks like. Any of you have traveled to a third world country. We realize that we are filthy rich in our lifestyle, even here before us today. Our monies and our material possessions, our interests and our investments, all gifts of God's goodness grace. Now, if God is the giver of all good things, which we know that he is, and we are to have faith in God to follow his example, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for me? We must learn. I must learn. I want to be a great giver. I want to be like my heavenly father. I want all of us together to be great givers and to learn from that. Sadly, what happens is that many, many people Many Christians, recipients of God's grace, live their lives under the mistaken impression that the good things that God has given to all of us are to be used for our own good. People live with the mistaken impression that the good things are for our own good. Let me tell you that, it's not like that. That's not why God gives us good things. That's not the reason. Everything, everything that God has given to us is to be used. What do we say around here? Soli Deo Gloria. Everything that God has given to us, every good gift, every perfect gift is used for the glory of God alone. Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians and says, what? Whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, you do it all for the glory of God. Paul wrote later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own, but you've been bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit that are his. We just like the city of Corinth, even like central Pennsylvania, cutesy as it is, is a wealthy place. Is a wealthy, Corinth was a wealthy city. We can very easily identify that. And it's the same church that Paul wrote a second letter in 2 Corinthians, and he gives to us a fabulous example of what giving in faith looks like. It's amazing that it's such a contradiction from a wealthy church like Corinth, and they bring our attention to a region, a conglomeration of churches in Macedonia. And the Macedonians are amazing examples, not just for the Corinthians to learn, but for you and I to learn on what it means to give in faith. Follow along as I read the words. The text should be ahead of you, in front of you on the screen. I'm going to pick it up in um, verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not not as we expect it, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. As we examine this morning our hearts when it comes to making this commitment in, 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 in faith and to give in faith, I want to make two points, two very simple points that we learn from the Macedonian Believers. The first one is this. Giving in faith is to be a matter of willingness and not a matter of wealth. Okay, what we need to learn, what we see emulated, the example that's given to us from the Macedonians is that giving in faith is to be a matter of willingness, not of wealth. So keep in, in mind kind of this thought. It's not about how much you give. It's about how you give. Let me say that again. It's, we're not concerned here. It's not the idea that we're focusing on. It's not about how much you give. It's how you give, the spirit of your giving. Look at the Macedonian example. Macedonia is a um, region um, about 300 miles north of the city of Corinth. It's in northern Greece. It's an extremely impoverished area because there have just been relentless war after war after war. The place has been ravaged by war. And we know some of these churches, faithful churches, the churches are the ones in, in, in Philippi, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippians. Thessalonica and Berea, the Bereans are one who what? Search the scriptures daily. And yet what's interesting is that it was this very, very different region than the letter that Paul is writing to a wealthy city of Corinth known for its trade and known for its commerce and art and architecture. Several things pour out of this example, but the first one, I think the biggest one that kind of gushes out is that they were never forced into their giving, I would say exactly the same thing. There should never, ever, ever be a sense where your arm is being twisted behind you. You better, you better give. You be, it should never exist like that. Look what it says in, in verses 2 and 3. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have 
overflowed in a wealth of generosity. They gave according to their means. And I can testify. Paul says this. I can testify. I have seen it with my own eyes. Given according to their means. And look at this. And beyond their means of their own accord. Of their own accord. The New King James translates it like this. Gave freely willing. Therefore what? Giving of faith is to be a matter of willingness. Not a matter of wealth. Pause, just hit pause for a moment. I want us this morning to consider and examine how we give willingly versus unwillingly. How do you personally do it? The way that I would kind of test, you know how you you check your pulse? Like, you know, you, you do this. Don't use your thumb because there's a pulse in your thumb. Did you know that? You do this, you check your pulse. You check your pulse. The way that you check your own pulse when it comes to how am I giving, is it, is it, is, is, is it willing or is it unwilling, is, is three simple letters that you should feel when you check your pulse when it comes to willing versus unwilling giving. It's this, J-O-Y. Which means automatically when you think about, there's something that I just love. There is such a, such a joy. It just, it just wells up inside of me. There's a gladness. There's an excitement. There's a happiness that says, I'm able to do this. What does the word of God teach? Second Corinthians chapter nine, that what God loves a cheerful giver. God loves specific mention, those who are giving what? With the sense of joy. I have, I have learned something. I've learned it my personal life, I think the hard way, I can only be cheerful in my giving if I am willing to give. You ever ever have to give something like unwillingly before? How much fun is that? There's only one cookie left on the plate. And your dad says, son, I want you to give that to your little sister. No, no, dad, like, I'm a growing boy. And, and I need this, and this is my favorite. No, no, son. How about if we just split it in half? No, son, I want you to give that whole cookie to your little sister. Yeah, but it's my sister. No, no, and, and we know, fine, fine, here it is. Hope you enjoy it. You want me to get some cold milk for you to dip it in? How much joy, how much joy is it in that sense of giving? Not, not a lot. Not very pleasant. Not very pretty in any way. I know some of you younger people, we are blessed with a church that's filled with younger people. And, and you, you probably won't know this, but there used to be something years ago, it was called a newspaper. And people would like buy a newspaper, you open up, and there's a particular area section in the newspaper where there were cartoons, and it's really funny. And there was a guy, his name was Dennis the Menace. And I'm talking to old people like myself, young people don't know who Dennis the Menace is. But I remember one particular time, even cut it out. Like, like you know how grandmom always cut out a really, really funny one? I cut it out. Dennis the Menace, and I, and I even put it in a file, and I thought it was so funny. It kind of disintegrated over time. But it went something like this, where Dennis the Menace, Dennis the Menace and, and his dad 
are at church and at the end of church, they're in the back and they're, they're greeting the pastor and, and Dennis the menace looks up and he says to the pastor and his dad's got this kind of sheepish look. He says, hey, so pastor, what are you going to do with that quarter that my dad just put into the offering plate this morning? <laughs> oh, there's, there's some reason. This is just like, this is just hard. Like we work hard for what we get and, and just giving it. Yes, just giving it. Giving it willingly. Why? Because God loves the cheerful giver. Now please, please hear me on this. If, if, if you give and you are giving unwillingly, the, 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 the offering plate passes and you're like, yeah, well, here you go. Hear me on this. Stop giving it. I'm not joking. Please do not put anything in. If you even gave it this morning already, talk to me. I'll talk to the treasurer. We'll get that back to you because, because God doesn't want it like that. God certainly doesn't need it. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver, a willing giver. The Macedonians are described as giving what? In great trial, yet there was an abundance of joy. Trial, joy, like joy, try, those things don't even mix. No, they do. When you listen to the Holy Spirit's teaching and prompting about what? Sacrificial, cheerful, giving, produce even more joy. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, certainly, certainly, certainly not a man with much by way of material possession. Hudson Taylor says this, and I quote, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. How true is that? I doubt if there is anyone, anyone here If you are completely honest, you would ever disagree with that. The more you give, wow, the greater the sense of joy. Be sure God is not interested in what you have, okay? It all comes from, he's interested in what you are doing with what you have. Two lessons, two examples the Macedonians give to us. The first one, what? Giving in faith is to be a matter of willingness, not a matter of wealth. Secondly, Giving in faith is to be an opportunity, not an obligation. Giving in faith is to be an opportunity, not an obligation. I want to look up the word um, in the dictionary, the definition of opportunity. Help me, help me understand it. Help me to be able to explain it. What's interesting is that word was already circled. It already was underlined. Apparently, opportunity was important enough at some point in my life to, to, to draw my attention to it. Why? Because... I love opportunities. We all do. Opportunity is defined simply as this, a favorable combination of circumstance, a chance for advancement in opening. You ever watch a really good running back in the backfield and it's like just a split second. There's what movement and there's just a split second where there's an opening. There's an opportunity and he moves through it. What, what we learn here is that, number one, an opportunity um, is to prove your love for other people. 
You realize that giving in faith is an opportunity to literally show others and prove to others, not just what talk it. We're not, we're not interested in that. We're talking about the walking it. It's an opportunity to prove your love for others. Look what it says in verse 8. I, I say this not as a command, but to prove, to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Uh, oddly enough, this whole idea is, is, is an example that is given from the Macedonians an opportunity for advancement, but they're a step ahead of us, that it's not an opportunity for advancement for themselves. It's an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that we automatically think of opportunities like, how can I advance somehow? Perhaps by giving this, that's going to create an opportunity for me to get like one more step, one, one more rung up. No, it's an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. That's what the Macedonians saw. Why? Because it's not just about, it's not just about living in this world and existing in this world. It's all about preparing and thinking and, and, and living in the world to come. People who have joyful, who are characterized by joyful, sacrificial giving, they have a clear view of eternity. They live with a focus on the eternal over the temporal. Macedonians, remember, these are examples. First century believers using as a model for us, and they're in a sense begging to give more. It's almost like the plate was just passed once. Could you, could you just pass it again? Like, like, like I gave, but I have a little tiny, I just want, I'm begging to give more. Why? Because they saw it for something bigger than what was just in front of them. They saw it as an extension of their worship. They saw it, what? As an expression of their love for God. We express love to one another. And it's to be in a normal, natural way, not a rigid way. I'm blessed every single year, probably to do about four to five weddings have a lot of young couples in this church. We're just blessed by that. Already scheduling for 2019 already. And one of the neat things is that I get to sit with these young couples literally week after week after week in premarital counseling and teach them, this is, this is what you have to expect. You've got to be ready. You're going to wake up. You're going to say, who is that? Yeah, like it's all going to happen. Do, do, you think, do you think that there's one particular week of premarital counseling where I would give some kind of instruction that sounds something like this to a young husband? Okay, what I want you to do, what I want you to do, boy, is remember this. First day of your honeymoon, day after your wedding, first day, what I want you to do, I want you to go up to your wife with a, a piece of, of, of paper and a pen. I want you to ask very specifically, so how many times do you want me to kiss you um, this, this week? How many times are you expecting me to hug you every single day? How many times do you want to hear me say, I love you? Do you think I would ever give instruction like that? No, no, believe me, no. Why? Because a a boy that does that is a fool looking for trouble. How many times do you want me to kiss you? Well, why? Because we don't express love like that. It's three o'clock, honey. It's time. No, (laughs) it's not like that. No, it's not like that. 
Why? Because love doesn't express itself in a rigid, regimented way. It's never, it's never to be forced. We don't love like that. A lot of people are like all kinds of like, um, can I really afford, I got a really busy fall lined up. Can I really afford one night a month, one night a week to, to meet with another guy with coffee and just encourage him in the word? Can I really afford to have the time to disciple another believer? People actually ask those questions. I, I don't know, you know, it's, we got a really heavy, I mean, sports are lined up and we are busy. I don't know if we really can sacrifice one more night a week to be a part of a home group. Should, should I really take the time out of my schedule to, to show up and, and help hold doors or haul boxes on a Saturday? Like, I'm a pretty talented guy and I'm beyond holding doors. People, believe it or not, they think like that. I hear questions like, well, do you, should, do you think I should tithe off of um, gross income or do I tithe off of net income? All the time. Can I? Can I? Should I? Do I? Here's my response. Stop. Just, just stop. And start giving is an act of love. I just love the Lord and what he's done for me. I love the people that God has allowed me to journey every single day with. We, 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 that's the way that we are to give. Now, please understand the world is never going to get this. The world's not going to understand. Like, you guys take like right off of the top. Yeah, we call it the first fruits. No, right off the top, and we take 10% and we give it back. The world will never understand. It's like different planets. Reminded of this number of years ago, the kids were young, and, and I was speaking up. Uh, we traveled up into Canada, and I was speaking at a conference for the week. And as I was coming back, um, back into the U.S., and you have to cross the border, and they got like guys there. They never smile. They have no friends. They never smile. And they ask you questions like, how long have you been in Canada? Been there about a week, sir. What were you doing? I was speaking at a conference. Did they pay you? I thought about it. No, they didn't pay me. I said, well, they did. You know, they gave me a love offering. Step out of your vehicle right now, please. A love offering. What's that? And I'm trying to explain. <laughs> like, it's just a small ministry, like nonprofit, parachurch ministry. And they didn't have a lot, but... They, they were grateful for our ministering to them. And so they all kind of put together and they put a little bit and they gave us a little bit of money. It's, it's a love. They just didn't get it. Like, no, like, I love the opportunity to serve them and they express love and they gave this little gift. It wasn't a lot. And the world looks at you like you are totally messed. They won't get it. It's all right that they don't get it. Why? Because our... Our giving is to be in response to all of God's goodness and grace. And we do it out of love. Those of you that are here today that are engaged or married, you have a wedding band on your ring finger. A lot of people don't even understand. Do you know why they put it on the ring finger? We just, well, that's the pastor said, you know, repeat after me as you place the ring on the ring finger of your bride's left hand. 
with this ring? Well, why is it that, like, why, why not the index? Why not your thumb? I mean, arguably, the thumb is probably the most important. Why is the ring finger on this particular finger? Why? Because in this finger, on the whole hand, there's one vein, vena amoris, the only one that's connected, what? Directly to your heart. That's why it goes on that finger. Been on there for 20 years, and I didn't know that. No, no, that's why. Isn't it interesting that Jesus Christ himself taught in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, what? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Isn't it interesting that he taught that? So, so we have a, a bit of a measuring stick on where we love and who we love by where we are storing our treasure on things here on earth where moth and rust doth, great old King James Version, doth corrupt. Are you going to what? Pour it into the work that is going to last eternally, the lives of souls that will spend what? Eternity in one of two places. Every single one of us know people and the majority of people that we all know, the majority of people that we all know, most of them in our own community, our neighbors, we see them when we're out and about, most of them, when they die, will go to a Christless eternity separated forever because people have not taken the opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus, to be part of the kingdom of God. So we know that it's an opportunity what, to prove your love for others. But there's a second part here. It's also an opportunity to follow Christ's example. This is so important. The author, the Apostle Paul, brilliant, very, very wise, not just as a shepherd. He's, he's shepherding the church at Corinth by using the example of the Macedonians. He's not just caring for them. He's not just guiding and teaching them. A good shepherd will have that firm hand on their back, not pushing them, but guiding them. The Apostle Paul is a master communicator. What does he do? He, he does not challenge them until he first encourages them. He encourages them first, and then he challenges them. He encourages them with what they are already doing. He says, you excel in these areas. You excel in everything, in, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge. He's, he's encouraging them. You're doing well in these areas. He encourages them in what they do, but he also encourages them in what they know. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're redeemed once. You're called out ones. You know what Jesus has done. He was rich and yet he left the glories of heaven for your sake. He became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. What, have really big, nice mansions here? No, so that we can be rich in eternal glory. And he's encouraging, not just by what they do, not just by what they know, but he draws their attention to where it needs to be, where our attention needs to be not on ourselves, not on our career, not on our goals, aspirations, not on, no, he, 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 he steers them to Christ. You know, you know all about his grace. Jameson Fawcett and Brown says it like this, this speaks of the 
the act of gratuitous love whereby the Lord emptied himself of his precious heavenly glory for your sake. Yeah, but like, I don't deserve that. No, no, we don't. None of us do. But oh, big ones, how how we need to be reminded. Every one of us, if you call yourself, like I'm one of them, I am a follower of Jesus. If you're what? If you have been given that grace, if you are blood-bought, you have been declared righteous. Our heart is deceitfully and desperately wicked, yet by our faith in Christ, we can be declared righteous. We are justified. Forgiven once and for all. We have been redeemed, even though we're sinners, rescued from our sin and adopted into the family of God. We were homeless and hopeless and helpless. And God said, I want you. Come, I want you to be part of my family. All of us who have been adopted into the family of God. All of us who have been promised to enjoy the glories of eternity with him. All of us who put our faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ, what was accomplished, what, on the cross and in the tomb, need to be reminded of the greatest example of giving there ever was. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I have one son. You're not getting them. It's the way it works. Tell you all the time. If it's, if it's you or, or him, you and, and him on a, on a train track and there's an oncoming train and, and I'm there to rescue one of you, I can only push one of you out of the way. You're dead. <laughs> it's the way it works. I'm a dad, that's my son. But God so loved the world he gave his son. It's love beyond our full comprehension. You, you realize that's the, that's the engine that drives, that's the motor. We, we, we do not give in order to get more. There is just garbage prosperity theology that is being taught. The more you give, then oh, you better just open up because the blessings are coming. No, Joel Osteen, you're wrong. We give because we have been given so much. We give because we have been blessed. We're to be a blessing because we have been blessed. I love how Paul closes, he challenges the Corinthians. Just as you and I, Lord willing, the Holy Spirit challenges us today. See that you excel in this act of grace also. I don't know, maybe there's something that just appears, uh, appeals to my, that there's a competitive spirit, like I can excel, like I want to be the best giver, like I want to be better than any of you, I want to give more, I want to excel in this. Now, I, how do we, how do we, how do we give? What's the greatest way, apart from diving on a grenade to save someone else's life. 
which to my understanding doesn't seem to be happening a lot right now around us. There's not a lot of people lobbing grenades in here at this moment, but I'm sure if there were, there'd be many of you who'd be willing to give that much. I'll take it so that my family, my friends, my brothers and sisters can live. But apart from that, how do we show or how do we sacrifice? Oh, we, we begin... Old Testament just begins, like, here's an idea. Let's just start with 10%. Thankfully, we live under grace, but we're not limited to that. We can actually give more than that. Give, give of the talents that God has gifted you with. There are so many gifts. Do you realize the number of people that are here right now? What, what God can do through your Holy Spirit-given gifts to light this town up with good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory God. You, you, you give those things. Give, give to missionaries that are in need. Give to the building that God is, we are make, taking major steps of faith. Like we might as well be standing, dipping our feet in the river because it's really going to be that difficult. But we know that God has been faithful. Testimony after testimony after testimony. Over three decades of testimonies that have been compiled. Let me tell you how God has provided for us in unbelievable ways, and God is going to continue to provide. Why? When we get the idea that you can never outgive the greatest giver of all time. You can never outgive a giving Savior. May we be reminded, encouraged. I understand this text is... That's a sharp text. It's in the word of God for us to learn. And we need to be reminded. We need to examine our hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us to see what changes need to be made as we are called to do the work of the gospel. Father, we love you. We just ask you to give us the strength to be obedient, to be submissive and surrender to your will over our own. We are blessed in unbelievable ways. God, speak to us. And may all the glory, all the glory for the great things you want to do, may all the glory go to you and you alone. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.